listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. We have a huge treat on the show today, Ryan Holiday, author Ryan Holiday. Let me interview him. (laughs) Let me talk to him. If you've listened to this show very long, you know I'm a huge fan of his writing. Growth Hacker Marketing, one of his early books, has transformed my thoughts on marketing my creative work. Highly recommend that book. But I also recommend his new book, Stillness is the Key. It is so good. It is about finding stillness in your life. Uh, It comes through the lens of kind of a comparative uh, religion approach where there's stuff from Stoicism to Buddhism to Christianity, and all of them have this overlap of stillness. I have found that these ideas really enabled me to get the most of the deep work of my creativity. And uh, this book is easily digestible, but it's going to rock your world. Go check it out. Stillness is the key. We'll put it in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes, or just go search it. You're going to find it because Ryan is a best-selling author. He's the real deal. He's got a, a disciplined creative practice that I find to be fascinating, and I learn a lot from him through that on this episode. We talk about uh, his new book. We talk about growth hacker marketing and writing on stage, and it was a freaking pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, let Just in case you don't know Ryan Holiday, uh, you know Stephen Pressfield, the uh, author of The War of Art? Stephen Pressfield says Ryan Holiday is one of this generation's finest thinkers. Maybe you're a fan of Maria Popova of Brain Pickings. She said The Daily Stoic, which is his blog and newsletter uh, delivering you Stoic principles every day. Uh, The Daily Stoic is a generous gift of guidance on modern living culled from a canon of wisdom hatched long ago. And the list goes on of these testimonials. This guy is a deeply clear thinker and writer. I'm very inspired by his ability to communicate with such clarity and and to create with such discipline. I was so hungry to ask him tons of questions about his creative process. How did, and he also, the other thing I'm really fascinated about is this guy as a creative 
really, really found his industry market niche, his little spot in the world. And he has just been cranking out these books that have been getting, you know, the attention of pro sports teams and celebrities and creative people. And he he's doing some remarkable stuff. If you haven't already heard of him, you're you're after you listen to this, you're gonna see him all over the place because this guy has really found his stride. I'm so grateful that he gave us so much time and so much wisdom. Here he is, Ryan Holiday. Uh, I am a huge fan. Everybody knows that on this show, all of my fans uh, and all the fans of the podcast hear me talk about your books all the time. And I'm a huge fan of your writing and the clarity there and the marketing stuff and the stoicism stuff and the philosophy. So it is just an honor and a privilege to have you here. Well, thanks for, yeah, no, that's very cool. That's very cool. So uh, I thought that we could do this as a little bit of a choose your own adventure style interview. Okay. I've got three buckets that I want to talk to you about, and I'm just going to let you pick which of these sound most interesting to start with. So okay. A, your writing process, B, your new book, C, wildcard, a concept from a past book, uh, Growth Hacker Marketing. <laughs> Uh, let's do writing process just because that's what I've uh, spent all morning on. And uh, and then, yeah, we can talk about the new book. Sweet. That sounds great. Um, so I've heard you talk uh, a little bit about your writing process on other podcasts, but I feel like not only is it super interesting to me as I've become uh, more and more of a writer over the years, but I feel like there's just a lot of nuggets for any type of creative here, the way that you approach it with uh, a routine and a discipline. Um, I wanted to just see if you could describe what it looks like from the start of an idea of your of a new book, all the way to the actual finished transcript. And we can kind of like dive sure. in and zoom in and out uh, as you go if you want. So I know that you uh, worked with. Uh, uh, Robert Green, and you took some of his mm-hmm. process. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm. It's actually funny because I'm in the middle of finishing one book and s- sort of starting what will be a series of books. So, I'm I'm kind of looking at both the end and the beginning of the process right now. And so, for me, an idea starts with you know just something. It's a quote, or it's a concept, or you know, it's a story that I read and it just kind of gets lodged in your brain. Um, but I don't like sort of leave it lodged in my brain. I, what I tend, I, I put it down on a note card, right? Like I I do all my research, my accumulation on note cards. And so, you know, a book starts as one note card and it accumulates into, you know, a few dozen, and then you start to go, Oh, maybe this is an idea, right? I'm starting, you're starting to notice a pattern. You're starting to accumulate material. And then, um, it, it, it kind of snowballs. So then, you know, the few dozen become a hundred, which become several hundred, maybe a few thousand by the end of a book. And you're, you're, you're just accumulating raw material. I, I remember, so on, on stillness, which came out in October, I remember yeah. it would have been in June, 2018. That's when, um, that was my birthday. That's the day that I officially sort of took all the note cards moved them into the order that became the outline of the book and then began writing the book. Mm. So um, I, I tend to organize the, like, so right now these, the note cards for the new series is just a, you know, a giant pile on my desk, but it will become in time, I'll, I'll move them into a box of some kind and I'll organize them in the box. And, and so, so it's about laying out, organizing the material, getting it all in one place, getting it in one order um, that then when I'm writing, all I'm using are those note cards pertaining to like the specific chapter that I'm in. So it's about like it, first off, it's just the accumulation of material. Then it's the organization of material, but it's about creating it, breaking a book, which is, I think stillness is like, uh, 65,000 words, which is, you know, a medium length for a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that that's broken up into as many small chunks as possible. And this is where, momentum comes from. So the book that I'm working on right now, like 
This morning, I, I tackled two chunks, a 900-word chunk and a 750-word chunk. But the chunk that I did before these two was a 6,000-word chunk. So it's about breaking them up into pieces um, that are that are manageable so that the, the enormity of the task never really overwhelms you. Mm, that's super good. I, I've actually, uh, I was working with a book writing coach and he told me that, you know, the way I was thinking about it was like, like laying a sidewalk where I'm like putting all these foundations in and, and I'm laying it all out at the same time, the whole book. And I'm and there. And he said, the problem with that is that if you get one of the, one of the bottom layers wrong, you have to break up the whole thing and start again. And he said, he suggested instead writing them in chunks, like I'm laying a path with stone slabs. And that way you could kind of rearrange them. Is that kind of the value of using these note cards where you're, you're able to kind of switch them around? Is that part of what you do? Well, so it, to, to think about your sidewalk metaphor, like let's say you're, you're laying a mile of sidewalk, right? You yeah. don't lay one giant mile of sidewalk. It, it is, um, you know, let's say it, it, it's, a, it's broken into 100 units or, yeah. you know, uh, 500 units or whatever. And, and part of the reason you do that is so you can go in if you, if you mess up or, or like also it, it takes time to do it all. So you can't leave the, the elements exposed, right, at, while it's under construction. And the idea is you may need to go in and replace different chunks. And so that's mm. how I think about it with books is that, so I, I get it all laid out as far as I think it's going to go. And then I write it one step at a time. But what often will happen is, let's say I've accumulated, like th- this is a very common one. Uh, so so you, you've accumulated all all this material and you're like, you're as you're organizing it, you're like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. This is really good. You, you're like, this will all go in the introduction. Mm. And and so you accumulate like my stack of cards for the introduction is always like the fattest stack. And then I sit down to write the introduction and it's like, oh, man, if I use all this stuff, this introduction is going to be like 8000 words long. Right. And, yeah. and so you end up paring the introduction down. Um, and and so what do you do with the material you didn't use? You don't throw it in the garbage. You you redistribute it now based on where you're going to tackle some of those ideas specifically. So um, it's like you have the outline, you have the framework, but where where the analogy is is it's somewhat of a unique scenario because what you're actually going through and doing is constantly sort of reframing the structure based on the excess materials that you didn't use in previous parts. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And one one thing that you said that I want to just go back to is talking about, you know, I'm very curious about this idea of good taste or like creative taste buds. I think about how creativity for me, the foundation of it is being able to tell the difference between something that's good and something that's not good. Like just sure. the ability to have that palette of like, mm, that oh, I can feel viscerally i'm on to something um and you were talking about you know each note card is like a like a you know your spidey sense is going off like oh that's good that's good and you're stacking up all this stuff Mm -hmm. um i just wondered if when you're writing what is good writing to you like what how and i know that's a broad question and i can even like unpack that further if it needs to be more specific but for me when i'm making a podcast or i'm making an illustration or whatever it is i have a kind of set of core values or or things that i'm looking for that hit those those you know zones where they're it's firing off i'm like oh i know this is good do you know yeah you have those things yeah look that i think that's a sense you that that's a sense you accumulate primarily through consuming the medium that you are doing your craft. And so I like, for instance, uh-huh. I think one of the reasons that a lot of nonfiction books done by like sort of business people or consultants or CEOs or whatever are really not very good is that the person doing it is doing it because like, you know, they're, they're trying to like get speaking gigs or they want to help their brand or they think it'd be a good way to make money. They, they don't actually like books. And yeah. so they don't understand this sort of, 
what, what's the, the lingu, linguina, linguina franca of the, of the, like, they don't understand that the, the, the way a book is supposed to be. So I'll give you an example. Right. Like whenever I pull up a self-published book, I almost, I would say 50% of the time, self-published books will have line breaks between the paragraphs, like a blog post, right? Mm, yeah. um, but if you, if you pull up, you know, a Michael Lewis book or a Malcolm Gladwell book or any, you know, classic sort of of the genre, it's, it's done, you know, paragraph indentations, and then there's no line breaks between paragraphs. This is how books have been done now for hundreds of years, right? Um, mm. So what's happening, it, it like, I noticed that instantly because like I have a familiarity with books. They're the, the, the sea that I swim in. Um, self-published books don't do that because the person doesn't know. Like, like I'll hold up a, a person's self-published book because like, I do consulting for authors quite often. And I'll, I'll be like, all right, look at your book. Now go get me your three favorite books and tell me, does yours <laughs> look like theirs? Like not even, not even like is the content the same? But like you've not even you you haven't you failed even at just mimicking superficially what the cover of a book looks like, what the back yeah. of a book looks like, the structure and form of a book. Like there there is a there is a, an expected style of a movie preview, you know, of a thirty minute sitcom, you know, yeah. of 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 a of a nonfiction book, of a fiction book, of a book of poetry. And so, so often what you notice is that these things don't even fit the con convention and, and, and this is a digression, but my, my point is they, they lack this because they, they don't actually like the medium they're, they're consuming in. So they're not able to judge whether what they're doing is even remotely close to like the basic standards or conventions of where they're producing. And so I think for me, I just, I love books and, and they've been my life. And so when I write, I'm, I'm comparing myself against things that I've written about other books that I, like, you just have yeah. like kind of an intuition for like, what will make a good point, what good writing looks like. But I would say one of the tricky parts about this, and it's something Ira Glass has spoken about. Mm -hmm. um, he's saying that when you start, you're, you have that intuition, you have that taste. But what you tend to lack is the actual skill or talent to to rise up to that taste, like to actually execute yeah. on it. And so er, like early on, books are a struggle. My first book, it was like I knew I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. The, the trouble was that I couldn't get there. And so it took many more drafts and a lot more work and a lot more external feedback and, a, you know, a lot more banging my head against the wall to get there. You know, now I can, I can, I can just, I, I just sort of know it's, it's like, I'm sure an NBA player like can just feel the difference between, you know, gameplay practice and then messing around on a playground, you know, like there's just a yeah. pace of the game and a style and a level of skill demanded. And so I, I think it's an intuition thing, but it's not as simple as just like, um, you know, I've read a book, so I know what a book is. Yeah. Yep. I, yeah. Speaking of that Ira Glass video, that whole idea of the gap, I'm curious about your, the trajectory of your career uh, is really interesting to me from, cause you started in marketing and shifted into writing. Is that the right kind of, is that correct? Is that how you see it? So, sort of. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was sort of a, a marketer and a research assistant at the same time. And then while I was still a marketer, I, I decided to write a book that was about marketing. So it's kind of this like, it wasn't like a, you know, I was in elementary school and then I was in high school and then I was in middle school. These are not as like yeah. defined sure. parts. There's, there's overlap, but, but yeah, I, I came to it. Let, like I didn't go get an MFA and then decide what I wanted my first book to be. Yeah. And it was writing something that you always thought you would do. Was that always an eventual goal? No, I think it was more like, and I think this is where the intuition comes from. Like, I just really loved books. Like I, I loved books. And then I came to sort of be fascinated with writers, you know, but, yeah. but there, there was, I think some, some fear slash ignorance for me of like, that, that writers were like actual people. Like, it's not like I grew up and my dad was a writer. Like, I don't think yeah. I knew anyone 
growing up who didn't have a job where they paid you salary, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I remember my sister growing up, my sister worked for someone who was publishing a book, but it was like a crappy self-published book, you know? Um, So like just even, even like knowing someone that had done this. So it wasn't until I was in college, I was working for the college newspaper that I met Robert Greene and some other writers. And I was like, Oh, the, like, this is a profession like, you know, painting, like, you know, being a house painter or a police officer, it's just a job and it's got its own rhythm and logic and training required, but it's not like, it's not impossible for anyone to do like literally anyone can do it. And the, so in this time where you're writing your first book and you're kind of bridging the gap between your taste and your work, as Ira Glass would say, uh, what is it that keeps you i have kind of two parts to this question and you can kind of uh take it wherever you want but um one is how did you how did writing become your thing because you you were established in the marketing world you had a bunch of success writing those kind of books but then you switched over to a more you know purely writing kind of role where you're really talking about philosophy and and you're really just thinking through your writing as far as i can tell uh how for the first question is because one of the things we talk about all the time on this show is fixed versus growth mindset i think this is just a huge thing for creative people and i actually believe that there has to be a little bit of both like it's not all skill and grit but it's all it's not all talent either right it's a it's a weird thing that you're trying to feel out that's what the creative journey is is what you know what's when do i need to put in the time and when do i need to uh you know, discover an innate talent. So I'm just curious with this, especially with this first book and this transition into writing. Um, first of all, how, when did it start to feel like this is my thing? And then also how did you bridge that gap before your first book as you're struggling through all of this stuff as you're working it out? Um, how did you keep going and bridge that gap? How did you know I meant to have a book? Like, does that make sense? Well, yeah. so, so it's a, it's a, it's a, there's an important part of the story missing there, which is, so basically the day I graduated from high school, I started a blog and originally I talked about politics. And I was just sort of mm. fooling around and finding my voice, but I basically had been blogging sort of it, it. Let's say that sort of fiddling around, messing around, but let's say that didn't really get settled until 2006 when I started sort of my, what, what, be, like I bought the donate, the domain for my name and, that let's 2006. So my first book came out in yeah. 2012. So I basically was mm. writing on a blog on a daily or weekly basis for six years before my first book came out. And, yeah. and, and this is important for a couple of reasons. Not, not one, because it, it's not like I was a totally unknown person who had a book idea. I had a platform, I had fans, I had email list of several thousand people. You know, I had some stuff. But more importantly, I had six years of practicing writing and publishing. So, you know, I think when you hear this idea of like, you know, 10,000 hours of practice or whatever, you yeah. can, you kind of feel like, I think people might think you do that, like sort of alone in the dark. And then you have a coming out party where you're like a master. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it was, it, it's, it's actually like the doing the thing in public where you, where you, uh, develop the real skills, but this is also where you're getting the momentum and the encouragement to keep going. So in those six years, I'm not toiling away in obscurity. Like I, I still hear from people who are like, Hey, I just read your new book. You know, I've been subscribing to your reading list email since 2009, or, you know, mm. I remember reading you over here. I, I read your first post on this when the day it came out. And so it was, it was that period of, of, of doing, the blog on a daily or weekly basis, hundreds of times, thousands of times that I, that I sort of developed my skill as a writer. And, and, you know, even now, like, um, I think one of the reasons I've been able, I, I think I'm getting better with each book because, you know, I publish for, for daily stoic. I publish, I publish an email every day for daily stoic since mm-hmm. October of 2016. So like if, even if I, even if daily stoic was my first book, I'd have, you know, daily practice writing for three consecutive years that would have, you know, had a significant impact on. So, so the point is it's a, it's a daily practice and you, you find in doing the daily practice, 
that it it becomes just a core part of who you are as a person. Yeah, I absolutely love this. And I'm glad you uh, took this angle because this is the concept from Growth Hacker Marketing that freaking changed my life. And okay. I've talked, I've talked on this podcast uh, to, you know, the ends of the earth with this subject of, um, you know, publicly doing your stuff and not, you know, writing in the cabin. And we, you know, one of the things, this idea of like putting minimal viable products out in public and seeing what resonates and building on that um, that has been such a huge part of my growth as a creative person. But I found that creative people really chafe at this idea or it's just not what, you know, I think it gets up against some of the sacred cows of creativity. And I've tried to kind of even position, re, you know, reframe this idea of minimal viable product and, and, you know, product market fit and all that kind of thing to say, you know, people we respect as the top creatives in the world, stand-up comics, do this all the time and they call it writing on stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? They sure. take, the, they have a bunch of ideas, they instantly take them to the club and they just, you know, let, let, you know, the market decide, is this funny or not? Or do I need to take another whack at it? Or was it just wrong? Um, and so I, yeah, I totally... And it, it's a little idea. it's a little bit controversial too, just like so this book I'm doing now is called Lives of the Stoics. And it's like a mm. series of biographies of all the Stoic figures, some very well known, some not. And so I'm going through and it's interesting, like the one of the passages I was writing today, there's a very I'm writing um uh I'm I'm writing about a Stoic named Agrippinus. And and Agrippinus was um, uh, sort of banished by Nero, and, and I'm writing about this scene where he he finds out that he's been banished, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 as I'm sort of looking at the material, I'm like, oh, I've already written about this, and I'm able to pull up like the Daily Stoic email that I already wrote, and essentially plagiarize from myself, right? Because I yeah. gave this away for free, but I know that it worked. I like so so I was like, I think I've written about this, so I searched in my own email like, you know, the, the, the email that it would have come from and the name and it came up and not only do, do I have like the thing that I wrote, but it's like, oh man, a bunch of my, when I wrote this, a bunch of people I know and respect wrote me in to say how much they liked it. So this definitely mm -hmm. is worth using. And, and so I took this chunk of material, you know, it's 300 words and I sort of redid it, but it's like it, it the, the equivalent I think about it is like, um, a musician, you, maybe you're, you're jamming on stage with other musicians. And as you're messing around, you discover a riff or two. And then you might go back to the studio later and explore and expand that riff. And so to yeah. me, that's what blogging, what social media, um, and even conversations um, are about. You're, you're about producing sort of raw materials that you might later end up refining in your writing. Um, and, and you just find that like, it's usually that it, it's very rare that something you put out there that sparks a response is not, you know, sort of worth expanding and exploring. So, and, and you're, it's just a safer bet, right? Like yeah. you, you having tested it before you now, it's now um, unlikely that it's not going to land with the audience at all. Yeah. And this, that practice has really helped me take the pressure off everything that I produce needing to be gold. I think about Jim Henson. One of the things I took from his story is that, you know, the cast of the Muppets, the thing that was his biggest hit when they finally had the Muppet show, that whole cast was comprised of characters that he'd made over the, you know, previous decade, maybe even a little bit longer, through, and they're cherry picked from specials that they did, ads that they did. Like, you know, they produced all of this work. And then over a whole year, maybe only one or two of the 50 characters they produced were actually special. And he carried those ones on to the next thing and the next thing until you get to the Muppets, where that cast of characters, he didn't invent them overnight. Those were cherry picked from all of the projects that they'd done before that. Yeah, um, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly right. So and and what you I think the, the nervousness is that like, oh, won't people know? And and to me, what this takes for granted is that anyone is 
so closely following your, your riffing. Yeah, right, right. Um, and, and, and so uh, to me, the, the benefits of testing and, you know, improving and refining the material far outweigh, you know, the 1% of the people who'd be like, I think that sounds familiar, you know? So I, I'm just always workshopping my material. And, and yeah, I love the idea of comedians just sort of, it's all about reps. It's all about stage time. It's all about getting in front of an audience. This is where you hone your voice. And I think this is particularly important in books because, you know, I published, uh, this is, this is my ninth book. Um, that's a very unusual number. That's like a very high pace. Um, mm. and, and look, yeah. I would say this is partly the product of, of, of having a daily practice, but like, you know, even if you, let's say like, uh, uh, most authors, you might only do a handful of books in your whole lifetime. So that's not a sufficient amount of practice. Like, yeah. like you, you need to be producing in other mediums or producing regularly in some form or another, where you're just not. You're just not, it's like if, if you found out that a comedian like had only done their three specials, that's like all the, the that's their totality of, of, of stage time. Of course it wouldn't be good. And so how can you be interacting with an audience and learning the important lessons of your craft? Um, that, that's really essential. I think the same goes for musicians. I think the musicians that seem to do the best have a lot of side bands because maybe they want to keep their totally. main band, you know, pristine and the output really consistent, but they're only putting an album out every three or four years. And again, that's just not enough uh, time put in, putting into your craft. Um, yeah, so th that's fantastic. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the new book. Um, and, but I want to connect it a little bit to the writing process because I'm curious about something. I'll just start it with this. Uh, do you feel like you were adding to or redefining the word stillness for, with this book? A, a little bit. I mean, I mean, I feel like when I say that word stillness, it, it hits everyone in a, in a unique way, but that we're all kind of we all have a sense of what it means. Like, I think there's very few people, if I was like, you know, uh, I want more stillness in my life, they'd be like, what's that? You know, like, uh, like, yeah. or have you ever experienced a moment of stillness? I think the answer to that question for everyone is yes. And they would say like, it was special. It might be a little bit different for each one of us. But I, I think what I wanted to do was take, was take this concept, like even if, if you only read the title and you just go, stillness is the key, um, like the same with egos, the enemy obstacles, the way I wanted the title alone to deliver something to chew on something kind of, of, you know, of significance or value. Um, mm. but, uh, but yeah, I, I did want to make stillness seem, and, and I think it is more than just like the sort of Eastern meditative, like, you know, silent retreat sense of the word. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not super versed in philosophy you know i've gone as far as i've read a few books and i've and i've definitely binged some serious podcasts yeah. on the topic so i you know i'm a huge fan but i'm definitely not an expert and it seems like you're doing what lots of the great philosophers did throughout the ages which is you know take take a word and say okay this is kind of close to the thing i want to talk about but we need to use this as a container to have this a huge conversation of all of this stuff around it that we need to talk about. And as I was reading your book, that's kind of what it felt like, like you're, you're saying stillness, but you're saying, you know, it's an indefinable thing, but let's look at it from a bunch of different uh, angles so that you have a language to talk about this thing that you clearly need in your life. Yeah. Look in, in the obstacle is the way, you know, Sometimes I'd get questions. You'd be like, "So, how do I get over my obstacles?" And it's like, I don't know, but I know, <laughs> I know that what I have in this book is a collection of exercises and ways of thinking and ways of living that should help you with whatever you're struggling with, right? And yeah. and I think that's what I'm that's what I'm doing with stillness, right? It's like 
there is no magical, you know, three-step process for having it, you know, it's Mm. not like follow this guided meditation and you will have it. It's more like these are important ingredients and, or, or these are cards you need to have in the deck and then kind of be shuffled and mixed together in whatever order you like. Did you, when you were, uh, putting together these note cards, you were saying like, you'll have an idea and then you'll put that on a note card and and eventually like on a topic, they start stacking up and you're like, this is a book. Is this like a pattern recognition thing? I'm very interested. Sometimes on the show with the interviews, I'm like, you know, diving deep on a minutia of a creative output and you know, it doesn't lead to anything, but sometimes it really does. I get very fascinated with how that creative process works. As you were putting down these, all these cards on this topic, was there a time where you connected the dots and you're like, Oh, it's, I can call this thing stillness or, uh, you know, that I see this dot to dot thing emerging. No, it definitely, it, it was like, this is a book about stillness. Like, mm. and it started with the realization that stillness, which is a, again, sort of a, a, a ineffable word, um, yeah. it, that it appears both in Eastern and Western philosophy, also right. in Christianity, you know, also in, 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 um, you know, Islam and Judaism. So it was like, Oh, like, that's weird. You know, obviously they all, they use all sorts of words. They, they talk about doors and, you know, uh, sleeping and th- there's obviously also, sure. sure. but this, sure. is, this is a conceptual word, um, that, that, uh, is unique enough that it, it's unusual that it would appear in both, in both, uh, it, sort of so universally. And so what, what are they talking about? Are they talking about the same thing? Do they have different ways of getting there? So the book was an exploration of just as like, wait, Buddha and Marcus Aurelius both talked about the same thing. That's like, what, what is that about? You know, so that's the pattern that you notice. That's yes. the, before it goes to your words, the, the pattern, the breakthrough was like, oh, I'm seeing this in several places. Yes, exactly. And then it was like, well, that, that's really interesting. And oh, as it happens there, they, they are saying very similar things and actually that this stillness is kind of like what both schools are working on oh wow this is getting really interesting and 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 so then in pursuing it and chasing it you you start to notice sort of sub patterns or more patterns Mm. do you feel like i personally for creativity for me is like 90 percent pattern recognition is that a thing that you think about i yeah i think so i mean i think I think like my skill, I don't think I'm like the world's best researcher. I don't think I'm the world's best writer. I don't think I'm the, you know, like, I don't think I'm any of that. I think I'm pretty good at noticing patterns and connections that, that maybe other people missed or, or didn't bother to notice. And, and so that's what my books are, are, are interesting patterns or connections between seemingly unrelated ideas. So it's like, you know, I take something from the Stoics and I'm illustrating it with a sports story or, you know, in, in this case, I'm talking about stillness and I'm, you know, I'm talking about Kennedy and the missile crisis. Like, oh, that that connects exactly to something, you know, in the Tao Te Ching. That's like, I, I don't think someone had done that before. So I think that's what I'm good at. Mm, yeah. So how are you, to me, the uh, obvious next question there is how do how are you filling up with that raw material? What does that look like? What do you, cause I know I've heard you talk about how you mostly read biographies and, and history mainly. Is that right? No, not, not exactly. I just, just read what's interesting. Like to me, okay. and, and just I, your curiosity is what yeah, you're following. Yeah. And, yeah. And I just find different things and I hear someone talk about something that I know nothing about and I go, oh, I want to check that out. That sounds cool. And so I have a big, you know, huge stack of books that I, that I haven't read. I have, um, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, a big Amazon, uh, reading wish list. And so I'm just always kind of going through and then I'm always going underneath, uh, I'm going back through those books and trying to, to, to sort of take out the interesting material. And then I make those, those connections. Are you compiling that stuff or is it all in your head? No, no, I'm always compiling and I'm, I'm always doing the note card stuff. And so like I have a okay. big stack of books on my floor that I've read over the last, you know, let's say six months and, uh, and going to, uh, I, like, I just need to steadily get caught up. I have a big hole right now. 
So the net, the note, the note cards are as much about your personal mental breakthroughs as they are just noting down something that fired off your spidey sense. And you're like, Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Like what I'm not doing is looking for material for books. What I am doing is looking for things that are interesting to me and collecting them and knowing that, um, it will likely end up in a book if it's good enough. Mm. Uh, okay. I, I want, I have another thing to ask. This is just a weird thing that occurred to me. Um, and because this is mainly a creative career, uh, podcast. I'm interested that your career has changed a lot, at least from my perspective. And you've done a series of books that are all kind of tethered together. Um, how are you thinking about and feeling about your your creative career right now? Do you feel like you've hit this unique niche? I don't feel like there's a lot of people doing what you're doing. Now you have this kind of thread. You're very much in the zone, in ter- it seems, from what I can gather in a discipline of getting into the flow state, regularly writing this very particular type of writing. Um, what does that seem? That's what it seems like from the outside. Yeah. Is that, is that what it is on the inside? I, I guess. I mean, I definitely, I, I definitely. Think <laughs> I know it's, that's a weird question. Sorry. No, no. I think <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just interesting to me. I think it's important that you're not doing what everyone else is doing. Like life is sure. way too short. Right. And, mm. and, and the market, it's like, you want to, you want, like, I, I love this thing from Peter Thiel where he's talking about how you want to have a monopoly. Like, you want to be mm-hmm. the only one doing what you're doing. And, yeah. uh, and, and so that's really important to me. Um, but, uh, but, but what I, I do, I do feel like I'm starting to hit my stride a little bit. Yeah, it um, seems like. And, and, but, you know, I, I, I would hope it's, it's a stride and not a peak, right? Sure. Like, I, I hope I'm just, um, that, that it's going some, like, I like where I am and I like what I'm doing, but at the same time, I also really hope that this is the beginning, right? Like, I, I think that's important. Like one of the great things about a creative career is you can theoretically do it forever. And yeah. so, um, you know, how can you be setting yourself up to do that rather than just like, Oh, I'm really hot right now. You know, I got to like make as much money as possible. Like I, I think less like that and more like, um, I really love what I'm doing and I want to keep doing it. And I, I don't want to, you know, I heard a line from someone who was like sort of rest at the end, not at the beginning. I don't want to like, uh, let this moment pass, but at the same time, like I, 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 I want to sort of respect it as a, as a long-term thing. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, there's kind of two things at play of like, getting into that niche where it's you're the only one in this lane it seems that it's a combination of a a long game practice of writing on stage with an audience that's kind of going along the journey with you as you become more and more fine-tuned in this very specific niche and the other side of it is i'm very you know everybody's talked about Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans a million times. But one thing I haven't heard people talk about is how, you know, that thousand true fans getting that deep resonance on super fans with that many people ends up becoming like a mustard seed of diffusion of innovation where that once you reach that, if that was your goal, like I'm going to really connect with this group of people on a super deep level. If you've done that, then they become your evangelists and that's actually how, but that to me, that seems like what happened because, you know, a lot of people want to start right out the gate being complete. A lot of creative people want to be completely out of the box and do, you know, doing what nobody's doing. But it seems like you started by establishing yourself in an existing market and then taking people as you become more and more aware of how your particular niche type of writing and thinking um it seems to kind of have grown over time and compounded uh doing that publicly does that does that make sense or does that yeah. spark anything from you i'm kind of like no i get making it that up in real time no it's like uh, to me the idea is you have your audience right because like people yeah. like so you write something and people who are looking for that thing like it right like yeah um and, and that's that's important 
but then what are you doing with that attention once you have it? To me, that's really important. Um, mm. You know, there's a there's that line from Henry Ford. He's like, if I listened to my customers, all I would have, you know, made is a faster horse, right? Whether he said yeah. this or not is is sort of irrelevant. The point the point is right. And so the idea is, you have your thousand true fans, you have your audience. How are you pushing yourself with like like how are you using the the that to create? creative freedom you know or, or to, to break new ground i think that's really important so so for me it's like okay i've, I've established this audience now what am i going to do with it I'll, just as like an example every once in a while i'll write you know something i'll sort of like um touch on you know sort of current political situation or i'll make i'll tie you know something the stoics thought to like trump or, or whatever and and people will get really mad and they'll be like how could you do this like keep politics out of it like you know, keep these thoughts to yourself or something. And my response is like, do you think that I built this audience to not say what I fucking think? You know, like, like this is the whole point, right? You know, like the point of the audience isn't to keep the audience. The point of the audience is to use the audience to speak the truth that you feel inside or that to say Mm -hmm. the things that you think need to be said, whether that's in a form of a sculpture or a one act play or a, you know, a, a book or an article, right? And so um, I, uh, for me, it's about like for every, you know, sort of closed minded person that I turn off, what I'm thinking about is like, who is the person that I planted some seed of doubt in or that I made think about something they weren't going to think about? Um, what, what, and, you know, is it like, am I using what I've uh, accumulated to, to, to be honest or truthful, right? Like what I don't, and so actually this is something I've had to work on now with my platform is like, I've had, I I was always sort of really accessible and I I would like sort of, you know, I was like, hey, if you have thoughts, email me. I've had to move some of that away because the numbers, it's not, it's not the, the number of responses that I'm getting. It's that like the number of negative people is growing larger. Just, you know, like it, if, if, one out of a thousand is a closed-minded idiot, you know, uh, or, or someone who can't, you know, I'll give you an example. Like uh, I I got an, this isn't a closed-minded example, but I got an email from someone who's like, Hey, I pre-ordered your book and it didn't arrive. And I was like, um, (laughs) cool. You know, like you, you, I was like, you know, nicely. So I was like, look, you got to talk to the person you bought the book from, right? Like it wasn't me. Uh, and, and the person replied like, oh, okay, I'll contact Penguin, who is my publisher. And it's like, yeah. you definitely didn't buy it directly <laughs> from the publisher. Like you gave someone your – but my point is like that person – like that person – clearly there's something wrong with this person. Like they don't know how books work or the world works or whatever, right? I don't want that mm. person to have access to my brain and say like – Hey, how dare you write about this? Or like, I hate you or what, what, what you know, whatever. So, so yeah. like, it's just important to me that I maintain the freedom to say and, and, and speak the truths that I think are important. And you can put yourself in a position where you get discouraged because you're checking the stat counter, or you're checking the unsubscribes or, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, like, yes, the business concerns matter, but like the reason there is a business to be concerned about is because you speak the truth when you see it. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, what I hear you saying, because we, like I said, we talk about the writing on stage or product market mm-hmm. fit thing a lot. And I'm always trying to say this idea of listening to your audience is a really nuanced thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's why there's that creative sacred cow that you should never listen to your audience and you should only ever speak from your heart and all that um, is because it's so complicated. And it sounds like what you're saying is uh, you do pay attention or you, at some point you did to what gains traction and what really deeply resonates with your audience. Um, You allow that to influence maybe what you take further or expand but there are there's a whole other side of feedback that you actively ignore. That that's exactly right. And and you know, it's like you you know, it's sort of you never want to meet your heroes kind of thing. You also yeah. want to have a slightly uh idealized picture of your audience. You know mm. what I mean? Or or it can yeah. get disillusioning. What do you 
for this, for the philosophy books, is that what you think of them as philosophy books? Yeah, I guess that's what I call them. Um, do, who are you writing to? Do you, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, it's usually like a younger version of myself. It's like what yeah. I wish someone had told me when I was 20 or, you know, 10 or, you know, it's, it's like a younger version of myself. Yep. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And you get to speak from your own taste and, and what resonates with you because of that. Yeah, and, it, um, and, and when you say a younger version of yourself, it doesn't have to be age, right? It's like a younger version of yourself. By that you mean what you wished you'd known when you didn't know it. You know, yeah. like, like what, you, what you wish, like who you were before you learned this information. That's who you're writing to. Yeah. And, okay, so this is... Uh, why here i want to i want in your words like what you would define as stillness and then what do you think creative people especially have to gain from cultivating stillness in their life well so this this morning uh we had a rough night we got two two young kids they, they were both sick but like so this morning i was up at you know 6 40 and within 10 minutes i was you know sort of we were out on a on a walk we're at, we're at the farm today and, you know, I had my son in a stroller, I had my other son in a, like in a baby carrier and I was just walking outside and we saw a deer and we were talking and then both of them fell asleep. And then it was just me, you know, I didn't have my phone. It was beautiful outside. I was just sort of walking. Right. And, and I was just outside and I had some ideas for things that I wanted to write throughout the day. Then I came up to my office and I, uh, I, I sat with my journals and then I went right into the work. Like to me that, that routine is productive but it's also deeply fulfilling and meaningful and like uh, still, you know, even yeah. though I was literally moving, it was yeah. a, a, a very pleasing form of stillness for me. Did you, so uh, what do you think a, what, what's the opposite of stillness for a creative person? Where do you, cause one of the things I really admire about you is you seem to get a sense of like, you were doing a lot of different things. Once you really got into writing, you, you seem to have really cut off almost everything else and created that routine so that you could, you know, be disciplined and, and get that flow state and have that lifestyle that you were wanting. What is the, um, What's the opposite of uh, a still lifestyle in terms of creativity? Do you yeah. have you lived that? Have you? Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 conference calls and you know agreeing to things you don't want to do and you know running around with your head cut off. It's it's you know obsessing with what other people are saying and doing like like the opposite of of stillness is like when I pull up Twitter and I see writers that I know that sent out fucking 80 tweets that day about like, you know, <laughs> God knows what, you know, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's having CNN running in the background, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, chasing the next fad or the next trend. Um, it's it's not doing the work basically that's the opposite mm. and and the truth is and i think stephen pressfield writes about this most beautifully and he's sort of way more monkish than i am like uh, uh like you know he's sort of i'm i'm not monkish at all compared to him um mm. but but you know he talks about how we have the resistance right it's like we know we want to write we know we want to do what we're doing and yet we're also afraid of it so we come up with excuses for not having to do it we're busy so we don't have to do it and I think that's really um, why so many writers lack uh, stillness is that it, writing is also painful and scary. And, uh, you know, it's, mm. easy, it's easier to be distracted by other things. And do you, have there been practical things that you've changed that have allowed you to have more stillness in your creative practice? I mean, routine is a big one. You know, having an assistant is a big one. You know, like I, I talk to people and they're like, oh, you know, I'm self-publishing because the math is better. And it's like, sure, but now you also run a publishing company, you know? like mm -hmm. So I, I try to make decisions about like, is this going to help me do more or better writing? Yes or no. Yeah, that's really good. I think I've learned over time, you know, I used to have uh, 
self-published classes and and books and all that and at some point and again because of the math at some point you realize like oh and when i'm doing that i cease to be the creative person that i want to be doing the kind of work that i want to do i end up doing you know 18 other things that i'm not actually that good at and pretty much hate um so i think that's really good no like uh, like i love podcasts but i was just thinking about this last night two of my favorite writers started podcasts pretty early but mm-hmm. they're writing output has plummeted to almost nothing as a result. Right. And, right. and this isn't a judgment. Maybe that's actually what they want to be doing, but, but I can see how, you know, look, the economics of it are great. It's easier. You can reach lots of people. I totally see it, but it's like, for me, the goal of becoming a writer was to, to write, you know? And so I'm just very protective of that. Have you ever thought about just doing it? I mean, I think the way that uh, Seth Godin has done it is uh, it's almost like a verbal version of his blog. Um, and it's like an audiobook version of a blog. Yeah. Have you considered that? No, I, I have that for Daily Stoke. It's done really well. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, I didn't know that. But But even that, it was like sort of like, oh, how can I make sure that even that doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't, uh, take up too much time yeah so i want to be sensitive to your time and uh what the last thing i'm going to ask you is with this new book is there any idea or any moment any real personal realization that you had that you're most excited about still excited about you know think you think that it you know this is one of the game changers for stillness in your life yeah, I mean, I, obviously routine's a big one. I think saying no is a big one. The, the big one for me, and I carry a coin in my pocket about it, is this idea of memento mori. It's like, what are you rushing towards, right? You're rushing towards death. Uh, mm-hmm. so you might as well slow down. You might as well really sort of dig into what you're doing. You, you, you shouldn't take the present for granted. Like sort of zoom in and be, you know, be here now, as they say, because, I mean, where else are you going to be? So... I think that's a really important, uh, to, to me, that gives me a lot of stillness. Ryan Holiday, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Giving me so much time and so much wisdom. We love you. We Man, I am so envious of your creative practice and how much of a sweet spot you've found in what you're all about, what you can bring to the table Um, Thanks for helping us get closer to that. Go check out his new book, Stillness is the Key. This thing is very easy to read, but also super profound. That that level of clarity on these big esoteric uh, abstract ideas is just unparalleled. And if you're all, you know, YOLO, FOMO, got the modern world bringing you down and you need to find some peace and some clarity of purpose, which all creatives need so that you can find that secret niche in this world, that sweet spot like Ryan has. Go check out his book, Stillness is the Key. You can go look in uh, creativepeptalk.com slash episodes to look in the show notes for it. Or you can use this thing. It's a great tool for finding pretty much anything in the world that you need. It's called Google. Go, go just Google his book, okay? Go get it. You're not going to be disappointed. Go get it for your parents. They need some stillness. Um, boomers. <laughs> I don't know what generation you are, so whatever. Anyway, thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Go check out the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Instrumental songs on Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for all the audio assistance. He's got a podcast called Six Figure Home Studio. If you're in the home studio space, if you're an audio mastering engineer, uh, producer, what have you, um, even if you're a musician, just go check it out. It's uh, They've got one of the best podcasts in that space. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>